you done well, and it's great to be with you. And uh, I've enjoyed our fellowship already. The subject of my or the title that I gave to Pastor Joe was uh, How do you handle the caves of life? That may need some explanation, and I hope to explain it by the end of our time together. But do you ever have troubles? Do you ever have troubles? Do you ever not have troubles? All right. It's easy, we always have troubles. And the question that I'd like us to think about as we begin looking at the scripture shortly is where do we look when we're in trouble? You know, some people look in their pockets, pull out some money. Uh, sometimes people think that money is the answer to their troubles. Some people call a family or friends or other people. Some people think, well, I'm just going to try and work my way through this, I'm strong enough. But the question that I'd like us to deal with is, where do we look in times of trouble? Where do we look for help? And I was very encouraged by the, um, by the, the song that we had at, uh, at a prayer meeting, which deals with the same sort of thing. I'd like us to look today at a man who was in trouble, he was in big trouble, and he didn't look to material resources, although he could have done that. He didn't look to his friends or his family. He could have done that. He didn't even look to his own abilities, even though he was a very capable man. He didn't look in any of those directions, but he looked and trusted in God. Now, we all know we should do that, right? Right? We all know we should do that. But do we do that? Do we do that? Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 57? Psalm 57. David, a very strong and capable man who hid in a cave but trusted in God. He hid in a cave but he trusted in God. Psalm 57. I'm reading the New American Standard. I'm going to read the, the, what's called the superscription, the words that are written before the psalm actually starts. Psalm 57. For the choir director said to Al-Tasheth, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their, their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. 
Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. <coughs> be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. This is, dear friends, the word of the Lord. Now I'd like to make a brief comment about those superscriptions. Those are the words that are said at the beginning before the actual psalm begins. They are added by the people who put the psalms together. They were not put there in the beginning by the writer of the psalm, but they were added by the editors, by the people who collected those songs together. And I'd like us just to note a few of them. My New American Standard says, first of all, for the choir director. So for the choir director, the implication is that this song, <coughs> me, even though it's only sung by one man here, is actually for the people, because it's for the choir director. So here's a song for everybody. And friends, I really hope today this is a song for you and me. It's a song that is set to El Tashef. How many of you know what El Tashef means? Nor do I. Alright? And in fact, most people don't know. It's some sort of musical notation. And even today, we can't be exactly sure what it means. A miktam of David. What's a miktam? We don't know. But there's four of them, Psalm 56, 57, 58, 59. But it's a midtime of David, and then this is important, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, Dodana, when you uh, took us through Psalm 69, you mentioned that there's no historical background for Psalm 69, but there is a historical background given for Psalm 57. This was written by David when he fled, sorry, when he hid from Saul in the cave. What do we know about David? And uh, I'm going to do something that many people don't do very often when they preach. I'm going to hand over to you. <laughs> what do we know about David? Let's go. He was a king. He was a warrior. With the shepherd. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a sinner, saved by grace, okay? Yeah. We're a Reformed Baptist church. <laughs> Remember, David, a young man, very brave. He would fight the bear and the lion when they came to attack the sheep, a responsible young man. He slew Goliath. Even the children know about David killing Goliath. Remember that when Saul took David into his palace, David started gaining a bit of popularity, and the women started singing songs. You remember the song said? Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul becomes jealous of David. And remember twice Saul tried to throw a spear while David was playing the harp to soothe him and to try and pin him to the wall, and twice David escaped. And then eventually, it's quite obvious, Saul wants to kill David. And so David flees into the desert, and we're told in 1 Samuel 22 verse 2 that a band of bad people, basically. <laughs> they were outcasts. They were discontented people. Um, they, they, they were fleeing from other people. They, they gathered together. And, and there was about 400 men with David. And David was on the run from Saul. Now there are two references in the Bible where David hid from Saul in a cave. The first is 1 Samuel 22. 
But the second is 1 Samuel 24. And I'd like you to turn back there, please, to 1 Samuel 24. What we're doing is we're trying to set the historical background because it actually does help us in understanding the song. The historical background to what's going on here. 1 Samuel 24. First Samuel chapter 24. And let me read very quickly. Don't take too much time. I want to read quickly. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Verse 3. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. He went to the toilet. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. David then said, Here he is, kill him. It's your chance. And David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about after... De, the, excuse me. It came about afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the king's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the king's anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterwards David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, my lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom is the king of Israel come? <clears throat> Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David has been fleeing from Saul. They hide in a cave. Saul comes in. David's men say, kill him. David says, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to trust in God. So that is the circumstance behind David in Psalm 57 as he is hiding from Saul in the cave. So turn back to Psalm 57. That's the historical background. Maybe you are like me and you'd like to be like David in your troubles. You'd like to face your troubles the same as David did. Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. Let the Lord sort it out, not lose sight of God, and God brings you out of it. Maybe you'd like that to be true of yourself. Well, if so, you need to be like David in Psalm 57. Now, I love the Psalms 
And so I'm going to take us through this psalm. We're going to study it together. It's 11 verses long. And whenever you study a psalm, the first thing you do is you take a long-range view. You sort of step back and you see how the psalm is set up. Now, I, I consulted various versions, NIV, ESV, NAS, New James Version, RSV, and they tend to divide the psalm up in different ways. I'm going to divide it in three ways because I think this is the most sensible way to do it. The New American Standard does it. Verses 1, 2, and 3 is the first section. Verses 4, 5, and 6 is the second section. And then 7 down to 11 is the third section. And I think one of the ways that uh, I would support that division is the word selah. How many of you have come across the word selah when you're reading the Psalms? Do you know what it means? Say it. It just means force. It just means force. So you don't actually have to read selah when you're reading Psalms. I don't know if you picked it up when I was reading it, but when I got to that point, I paused. So that's why it's there. And so I think because of that pause and then the second pause, I think it's legitimate to, to divide verses 1 to 3, 4 to 6, and 7 down to verse 11. Okay, what is each section about? What is each section about? I'm going to ask you, look at verses 1, 2, and 3. What are, what are the big themes that jump out of verses 1, 2, and 3? What is, what is David doing in verses 1, 2, and 3? He's crying out, isn't he? So certainly there's this, there's this idea of David crying to God. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. Verse 2. I will cry to God most high. So we can see that verses 1, 2, and 3 are about David crying out to God. But as he cries to God, is he confident that God will hear him or not? Is he confident or not? He's crying with confidence, isn't he? Because he knows God will hear him. So we put that together. Verses 1 to 3, David's confident cry to God. Now verses 4 to 6, David's not crying out anymore. What's the theme in verses 4, 5, and 6? <coughs> Mainly in verses 4 and 6. What's the theme? What is David looking at? Verses 4 and 6, what, what's, what's he focusing on? Say again? The enemy. He's focusing on his problems, alright? My soul is amongst lions, I lie down amongst those who breathe out fire, men whose teeth are like sharp spears and arrows, etc., etc. Verse 6, they have prepared a net, uh, they have dug a pit, etc., etc. So he looks at his problems. But that's in verses 4 and 5. What's, sorry, that's in verses 4 and 6. What's in verse 5, right in the middle? And this is very important. Verse 4, these are all my problems, these are all my enemies. Verse 6, these are all my problems, all my enemies. What is verse 5? God's glory. God's glory. And so I'd like to suggest, friends, and I'll come back to this, don't worry, that verses 4, 5, and 6, that's, that's David's fixed focus. So first of all was his confident cry, 1 to 3. Now it's his fixed focus. What is he focusing on in his troubles? He's focusing on the glory of God. And then if you look at verses uh, 7 down to verse 11, not quite so clear. Um, but what obviously what David is doing here is he's wanting to praise God. He talks about verse 7, I will sing, I will sing praises. Uh, he talks about awaking his soul, 
awakening the instruments, awakening the dawn, I'm going to give thanks to you. So it's all about praise. And then he ends off by just extolling God or exalting God, verses 10 and 11. And so this is, I suggest you, David's deep desire. So we're going to have three things. We're going to have David's confident pride, David's fixed focus, and David's deep desire. And please remember, this is not just so we can find out about David. This is so you and I can learn for ourselves. You know, as you go through trials and difficulties and troubles, and we all do, friends, as you are in your cave, learn three things from David. Make sure you have a confident pride to God. Make sure, secondly, you have a fixed focus on the glory of God. And thirdly, make sure you have a deep desire for the honor of God's name. So let's look at those three sections together now in more detail. Verses 1 to 3. David's confident cry in his troubles. Now we must remember, David was an exceptional man. David was an exceptional man. He showed that as a youth. He defended as probably a teenage boy. He defended the flock against a lion and a bear. As a grown man, he had amazing qualities. He was brave. He was fearless. Remember, he fought against Goliath. He was a gifted leader. He was a great singer and composer. And listen to what I'm about to say. If you were to pick anybody who should be able to handle a situation like this well, you'd pick David. You get the point? If you had to pick anybody who could handle a difficult situation, you'd pick David. I mean, David's the whole, the whole package. Everything is in David. So surely David can handle this himself. This guy has got it all together. Surely David does not need any help. But the very first words that come out of David's mouth are, what? Be gracious to me. The very first words, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. This man who is so capable, his first response to his troubles, friends, is he cries out to God and he says, be gracious to me. Now it's interesting that David, when he cries out to God, says, be gracious to me. He is crying out for grace. What would you say is the key element in grace? Can I just turn this slide here now in my notes for what you think? Alright? What is the key element in grace? Somebody else other than the pastor. Unmerited. You do not deserve it. You don't deserve it. Now please listen, friends. David might have come to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me? I'm the one who was brave enough to fight Goliath. Can you help me? Remember me? I'm the one who had so many good victories against the Philistines that they said, Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousand. Remember me? I'm the one who sings those songs. Remember me? Remember me? He doesn't do that. He doesn't point to anything in himself. But what he points to is his need for God to be gracious to him. Let's wait for the fan to settle. I'm not going to compete with a fan. I'm turning it off. You get the point, friends. David doesn't point to himself and say, Lord, you should hear me because of me. David simply says to God, you need to be gracious to me, Lord. Please be gracious to me. And you know, friends, if you and I want to work, out our, work our way out of troubles in a way that keeps 
our Christian integrity saved and honors God, listen carefully, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. I think sometimes, you know, we expect God to bail us out. We deserve God to help us. We deserve that God should reward us. And if we don't think like that, make no mistake, friends, we think we don't deserve the bad things that are happening to us. I mean, how many Christians, and maybe this is you, say, it's just not fair that this is happening to me. I mean, I, this happened and this happened and this happened, and now this happens as well. As though in some way we're important and bad things shouldn't happen to us. When David is in this situation and he cries out to God, he cries out to God and he says, Lord, be gracious to me. I don't deserve it. Lord, you can turn your back on me and that's exactly what I deserve. But please be gracious to me. We focus upon ourselves. David focuses upon God. We focus upon our significant. David focuses upon God's graciousness. Look at the way David expresses his humility in verses 1 and 2. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. My soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. It's as though he's saying to God, Lord, you alone are my hope. I don't have hope in anything else. Now remember there's 400 men with David. 400 desperate men. And in that situation in the cave, there's 400 against one. Just Saul. But he doesn't look at the 400 men. He doesn't even look at his own strength and abilities. He looks at God and he says, Lord, I'm resting and trusting in you. Only in you can I find refuge. And again, friends, please, I, we live in Zimbabwe. We live in Zimbabwe. There's constantly problems. There's constantly troubles. Do we have that attitude, Lord, it's only in you? You get the point? And what a lovely picture. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. What's the, what's, the, what's the word picture being used here? The shadow of your wings. Who uses wings? To help people. Not to help people, to help other things. Easy answer. A hen, right? A mother hen. A mother hen, she's got all of her chicks and they're all pecking there and eating and then she sees a, um, a hawk or an eagle going by and she calls, what do the chicks all do? Underneath. And they're sheltered in the shadow of her wings. And friends, that's what you and I need to do. When you and I are in trouble, you know, we might be in a cave, we might have lots of people with us to help us, we might think we're hot stuff. But at the end of the day, our only hope and our only refuge is in God. And so David cries to God in verses 1 and 2. But notice that it's a confident cry because he knows God will hear him. He knows that God will deliver him. Look at verses 2 and 3. Second half of verse 2 and verse 3. So verse 2 starts, I will cry to God most high. To God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. He's got absolute confidence, friends, that no matter what his situation, when he cries to the Lord, God 
will help him. So it's not just a cry, but it's a confident cry. And you and I ought to do that as well, dear friends. We ought to, when we're in our cave, when we're in our troubles, when we're in our difficulties, we ought to cry to God with confidence. He will hear us. There's a wonderful verse that I've known for many years, and it's helped me many times over from the book of Job. Job chapter 23, verse 10. Job 23, 10, let me quote it for you. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as God. He knows the way I take. <clears throat> you know, you might be going through a tough time. God knows the way you take. And when, you go th when you've gone through that trial, and he brings you forth, you will come forth as God. So make sure you're crying to God with confidence. But that is secondly, verses 4 to 6, what I've called David's fixed focus in his troubles. David's fixed focus in his troubles. You know, when you read verses 4 and 6, one of the things that strikes you is that David is a realist with regard to the problems he is facing. He doesn't pretend they're not there. He doesn't minimize them. He knew what problems he was facing. And he lays out that description. Look at verse 4 and verse 6. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Verse 6. They prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen in the midst of it. David is very aware of the problems he faces. He's very aware of the dangers. He does not pretend that everything is okay. I don't know. Are any of you old enough to remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Do you remember that song? Don't worry. Be happy. You've heard of it, right? So, it was some time ago. But that was the main thrust of the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And in the song, the songwriter paints all sorts of different situations. You need to pay the rent, but you don't have the rent. Don't worry, be happy. You want to have a meal, but there's no food on the table. Don't worry, be happy. And just going through all these things, don't worry, be happy. And the idea of the song is not just smile, don't worry, be happy. Well, that's a load of nonsense. That's a load of nonsense. Okay, this, this is a song that I do know. I do know that you know. Remember Lion King? Remember Pumba and Timon? The song that they taught Simba, which was their philosophy of life. What's that song? Hakuna Matata. Right. What does Hakuna Matata mean? No worries. No problems. That's not David. And that shouldn't be us as Christians. You know, some Christians, I had a lovely lady, lovely Christian lady in my first church who said to me, you must never say anything negative, even if things are absolutely awful, don't say anything negative. You've got a headache, don't say you've got a headache. Right? It's almost, don't worry, be happy. Akuna Matata. That's not David. David says, when I'm here, I'm amongst lions. There's people all around me who want to kill me, and they're, they're, they're making a pit there for me to fall into, and they've prepared a net over there to, to catch me. He saw the reality of his problems. Do you have that, friends? So there's nothing wrong with you and I saying, Lord, I've got to be honest. This is my situation. Life is tough, and it's tough because of this, 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 and this. 
And it's not don't worry, be happy. It's Lord, these are the problems. David does see his problems. But listen carefully, please. He doesn't focus on his problems. And there's an important difference there, friends. He sees the problems because he names them all for us, but he doesn't focus upon them. What does he focus upon? Now remember Psalms are poetry. And so poetry, you've got to look for things that are out of place and ask the question, why? Why does the poet do that? Verse 4, these are my problems. Verse 6, these are my problems. What's in the middle? What's in the middle? In your own words, if you can. Anybody? Verse 4, these are my problems. Verse 6, these are my problems. Verse 5, what's that? Praise to God. Glory to God. Now why does the psalmist put that in between those two? I'd like to suggest he puts those in between the two because David saw his problems, verse 4, and he saw his problems in verse 6. But he focused on the glory of God, verse 5. Do you see that? You've got, to, you know, you've got to think, why does the poet do this? Surely verses 4 and 5 should have gone together. Sorry, verses 4 and 6 should have been together. Verse 6 should have been verse 5, because that's all talking about the problems. And then you talk about God's glory. He doesn't do that. He puts God's glory right in the middle of his problems. And, and I suggest to you, friends, and the scripture teaches us this is the right attitude, is that you can have your problems, you can have your problems, but make sure you're focusing on the glory of God. You with me? So verse 5 becomes David's fixed focus. He doesn't deny the problems. And don't be the type of Christian who says, oh, I can't say anything bad because that's the wrong thing to say. If it's bad, say it's bad. Amen. Amen. But don't focus on the fact that it's bad. Focus on the glory of God. I want to test you. All right? I want to test you. This is when I become stern. No, I said I'm stern. Imagine you get COVID. Okay? And you get it really bad. So bad that uh, you're hospitalized and you are on oxygen and Pastor Joe is allowed to come in and he's allowed to come in and visit you just for two minutes and he says to you listen very quickly everybody at church is worried about you they want to know what's one thing we can pray for you alright now don't be spiritual be honest alright <laughs> how would you answer that how would most Christians answer that well please that the money doesn't run out because I don't know where we're going to find the money. Please pray that the oxygen supply continues because it's, it's running low. Please pray that my lungs clear up and my breathing becomes easier. Please pray that I might be healed and just come out of hospital. Right? Honestly? Honestly. The problem with that is, is what? We're focusing on the problems instead of focusing on Glory to God. How would David, let's put David in hospital now with COVID, on the basis of Psalm 53, 57, right? David's in hospital, he's got COVID, the oxygen's running out, the money's running out, his lungs are not operating properly, and he's not sure he's going to get out of line. And you say, David, what's the one prayer request you have? What would David say? <laughs> Verse 5. Pray that his name may be exalted above the heavens, and God's glory may be above all the earth through my situation. 
You get that? So you can see the problems. But don't focus on the problems. Focus on the glory of God. So number one, friends, when you're in trouble, a confident pride to God. That's where you've got to look straight away. Secondly, as you go through these problems, you can see the problems. That's fine. You can even tell God what they are. There's no problem. But make sure you focus upon the glory of God. And then thirdly, and finally, verses 7 to 11, in his troubles, what was David's deepest desire? So it's a confident pride. It's a fixed focus. And then it's a deep desire. And what we're going to see in verses, what we do see in verses 7 to 11, is that what David longs for in his situation more than anything else is the greater glory of God. He really wants God to be glorified. Certainly he wants to be helped. <laughs> you know, we can't deny that. But even in his being helped, he wants God to be glorified. And, <clears throat> this is very important, he doesn't just want God to be glorified, but he commits himself to glorifying God. He commits himself to glorifying God. Just have a look at the way the, the verses go. Uh, verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. Now remember, that's the same man who's just said verse 4 and verse 6. You know, my enemies are all around me. There's a pit, there's arrows, there's spears, there's a net. That's a reality. But my heart is steadfast. I'm trusting God. And what am I going to do with the steadfast heart? Verse 7, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Just remind me, where is, it? Where is David when he's saying this? He's in a cave. He's in a cave, running for his life. He's in trouble. You and I, when we're in trouble, are we willing to say, Lord, my heart is steadfast, and I will praise. I will sing praises to you. And notice that this praise of David is not just, I will praise, I will sing praises. You actually have this excitement. And even if you look at your Bibles, you notice that the sentences in verses 4 to 6 are longer than the sentences in verses 7, 8, and 9, which are much shorter. And you may, in some of your versions, have quite a few exclamation marks in verses 7, 8, and 9. That's because that's the, that's the sort of spirit, or, or the spirit, the, um, the atmosphere of these verses. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. You get it? You get it? It's enthusiastic. I am committed to the praise of the glory of God. And notice when he says, I will sing, that's, that's a decision. It's not just, you know, we're going to come to church and I will sing. That's just like that will happen. I will sing is a decision. I'm in the cave, there's all these problems, but I will sing. And what will I sing? I will sing praises to God. And I'm going to be enthusiastic about it. I'm going to be enthusiastic about my praise. And he's so committed to his praise that he says, I will awaken the dawn. It's a lovely expression, isn't it? I will wake the sun up. Which means I get up before the sun and say, hey sun, wake up. Now I'm going to awaken the dawn. My praise of God is so important to me. I want God to be glorified and 
troubles are you going through at the moment? Don't tell me out loud, but think about it. You've got to make sure that you're committed to praising God in and out of those troubles. Because that's what David was. He is so committed to praise. And we notice also in verse, in verse 9, that praise is not just something that he keeps to himself. But verse 9, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Can I encourage you, if, if you're in trouble and you want to praise God, ask Pastor Joe for two minutes in the service to stand up and say, I want to praise God. I'm in trouble. <laughs> My was tough. I want to praise God. I want to sing His praises amongst all of you. When do we normally praise God? When we come out of the troubles. Or when things are fine. But, but this whole song is David in the cave. I know God's going to look after me, so it's fine. I'm focused on His glory, so everything's okay. And I want to sing praises to my God. And then he ends off by saying to God, For your loving kindness is great to the heavens, and your truth to the clouds. And again, I'm not sure what the different versions say, but you notice verse, verse 10 speaks about loving kindness and truth. That can be loving kindness and, and faithfulness. Right? We find those at the end of verse 3. God will send forth His loving kindness and His truth. You see that? So in verse 10, your loving kindness is so great. And verse 3, your loving kindness has come to me. Your faithfulness is so great. And your faithfulness has come to me. And then he closes... By saying, be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Have you ever seen that verse before? And I'll give you a clue, the answer is yes. Where have you seen it? It's in verse 5. It's in verse 5. Remember that fixed focus of David? It's a fixed focus on the glory of God. That's how he ends. That's how he ends. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Um, why do you and I have problems? Why do you and I have problems? Well, one of the reasons is so that God can be glorified. And imagine if you and I faced our problems like that. You don't have to deny them, cry out to God, but focus on His glory and be determined to praise Him at the end. So dear friends, think about Psalm 57, think about David, think about yourself. In the midst of your troubles, let's see how well you remember. Verses 1 to 3, you need to have a confident cry to God. Verses 4 to 6, you can see your problems, but make sure you have a fixed focus on the glory of God. And in all of this, the whole reason is for you to have a so much for David. Thank you for this man who was so real. And sometimes when I read David and he talks about his enemies and the troubles that he has, Lord, he saw things the way they really were. He didn't pretend. He didn't say, don't worry, be happy. It wasn't like Konamatata. It 
was, I have got very real problems. But Lord, what a wonderful example he is to us. Confident pride and fixed focus and deep desire. And Lord, even as I was singing earlier on, I was thinking, that is just so much like your son as well. He is the perfect example. Because in his deep troubles of the cross, he has a confident cry to you. And in his struggles upon the cross, and all of the pain, he had a fixed focus on your glory. And in everything that he went through, his deep desire was that your name may be honored. So help us to be like David. But even more, Lord, help us to be like Jesus. We pray in his name. God bless you, dear friends. Thank you so much for your attention. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, you've got an exhortation.